0: What is truth? Is there really anything you can count on that is true? Well, we know Jesus had said in time before that that he was the way, the truth, and the life. We know that the Word of God is true. And so we're going to keep coming back to that thought. If I could uh, remind you also that in Romans chapter 1, there was uh, quite a, um, a detachment from the truth. Matter of fact, in Romans 1, beginning in verse 25, the Bible talks about having given up some to, uh, uh, to uh, a reprobate mind and to a vile passion. And, and it says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Exchange the truth of God for For a lie. Can you imagine what it would be like not to have the truth of God? Can you imagine for a moment what it would be like? Now I say that because Josiah, in his day, he actually was busy being king of Judah, the southern portion of Israel. And for hundreds of years, what could have been, according to the calculations from the text, as many as 300 years, they didn't have the book. They didn't have the law. It was the high priest who found it, and I often thought, what in the world did he do before that? And then I stopped and realized for a moment, you know something? The truth of the matter is that religion, you can have religion without having the truth. And some people find great solace just in the religious activities and no emphasis on the truth. And so we know that this uh, took a turn when they found the book in John chapter 8 and verse 44. Jesus made reference to those who were uh, of the devil. He said, "You are of your father, the devil. The desires of your father, you want to do." He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now the Bible tells us, and many of us know it as the ninth commandment. The ninth. Of the 10 that we're not to bear false witness, Exodus 20 and verse 16 says, against our neighbor. God would not have us to lie. It's interesting that among adults a study has been done that some 60% of adults in the United States cannot carry on a 10-minute conversation without lying. Now most of the time it's a, it's a simple little what we might call uh, a little white lie. Some people call it a, a, a nothing major. Maybe it's uh, some, just an exaggeration because the story sounds so much better if you just stretch the truth a little. And then maybe it's about being sick when you call into work, or uh, maybe it's about something else. So we have all kinds of things we use. I I found this statistic, I thought it was interesting. 90% of children by age four have grasped the concept of lying. I came across some letters that you might recognize. Here's one. There will be no school this week, so Colin can stay home and play video games. (laughs) From Mrs. Teague, I am the teacher. There's another one here. Uh, Mrs. Clifton, Ronnie can bring his uh, PlayStation, I guess that's what that is, and that right PSP to class all the time he wants to. He has my permission. I am his mom, and what I say goes. Ronnie's mom. Now, I couldn't get a hold of the actual letters some of you have written, but you can identify, I know, with some of these. It is good, though, that every now and then you get somebody who is painfully honest. This was written to dear Ashley. Would you please be my girlfriend? He asks. I really like you. And then he gives instruction. Please uh, circle one or please mark yes, no, or maybe. She puts no. But then she gives an explanation. Look at this explanation. I'm sorry I already have a boyfriend Kyle but when we break up you're my next choice that will be that will be a month or two (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well at least she was honest can I get an amen that's hilarious, just so funny. I heard something this past week, I read, uh, I read that, that now in our school systems, people are working to develop classes to help young people be able to recognize the difference between fake news and the actual thing, classes. The reason for it is because fake news with social media the way it is, when when fake news comes across, they're repeating it and I mean it's an epidemic and people are getting all kinds, it's flooding the world with false information. So now they're asking people to stop and think before they Snapchat it or before they, uh, they send it out on social media and, and, and answer a few things. Take a look to see whether the context is accurate or not. Try to be somewhat of a, uh, of a responsible person instead of passing on the fake news. And in our world today, there's a plethora of fake news. Would you agree? Amen. It's everywhere. So it's comforting when we come back to the fact that the Bible tells us that it is reliable, that it is truth. It is truth. Matter of fact, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now that word inspiration, you've heard it before many of you, it means God breathed. That God gave it, he breathed it, man wrote it down, yes, they were instruments in the hand of God, but it's God's word. And it is profitable, the Bible says, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 119 in verse 160, the entirety of your word is truth. Truth he said. And every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Now the story that we're about to read actually takes place about 640 years before the birth of Christ. So I want you to to start with me kind of processing the time frame. 640 years before Christ, Josiah comes to reign. The Bible tells us in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. His father had been assassinated. He is the 15th king of the southern kingdom known as Judah. Now let me back up a little bit with you and give you the full picture. When Israel first received a king, his name was Saul. Do you remember him? Say, I remember. After Saul came David. Now David plays an important role. We're going to read of him in just a moment. And then after David came his son Solomon. Solomon built the temple that we're going to read about also in just a moment. Now, the temple was built uh, oh back uh, 300 years or so before what we're about to read. Give you an idea of of the building itself. It hasn't been destroyed yet by Nebuchadnezzar. That's coming if you know your Old Testament history. Now, although Josiah... Well, let me back up. Uh, So Solomon, at his death, as part of the judgment on Solomon... Because he had a divided heart. Think of it this way. David had a united kingdom because he was of singleness of heart. He loved God. He was a man who was after the heart of God. And then we have Solomon who had a divided heart and as a result of the divided heart because he loved many women and those women took his heart away from the true and living God and he built all kinds of places for them to worship their gods in. And so from a divided heart the kingdom then divided. So you have the northern kingdom known as Israel. Ten tribes made up that northern kingdom and they had Samaria as their capital. They have since come under the leadership and ruling of Assyria by the time we find this, that we're reading now. In the southern kingdom, two of the tribes remained, Judah and Benjamin. Judah was the larger of the two, and so therefore, the name Judah became the name of the region. They took on that name. The capital still is in Jerusalem, and the temple is still there. Josiah, though he is the 15th king, of Judah. He's the 16th ruler. Some of you might remember that there was a queen who ruled for a while by the name of Athaliah. So I want to throw that in there just so you get a better picture of where we are. For now, for several years, you might remember some of his ancestors. You might remember Manasseh. Manasseh was a wicked king. He was his grandfather. But his great-grandfather, Josiah's great-grandfather, was Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah was a godly man, but he followed, again, a wicked man. So they've had many wicked kings, only a few that are godly kings. And so here Josiah is now, I want you to get this picture, eight years old. He is put on the throne after the assassination of his dad, eight years old. So for a few years, he goes along, he's doing just fine. And then we come across uh, this passage of Scripture, verse 2 says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. When he chose someone to model his reign after, he went all the way back to David. Now this is significant because we find in the next few verses what he does. Look at what it says, verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, now if he came to the throne when he was eight years old, eight years later, he's a teenager around the age of 16. Can I get it that's right? right. The Bible says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Now let me pause a moment. This is very important. Here Josiah is as a young man. He makes up his mind. And young people listen to me. This is important. It, it, and, and I know many of them are out on the bus, but we got a lot of them right here in our service too. And so let me, let me remind you that, that the decision must be made to follow the Lord. And so, so Josiah says, you know something? I have heard of the way David loved God and the way God loved David. And that's what I want in my life. He said, I'm going to seek the Lord. The way David sought the Lord. Now, this is the beginning of something wonderful in Josiah's life. We're going to come back to that, but uh, if you keep reading, the next few verses basically deal with how he began to clean up the land. He went from city to city in the 12th year of his reign. He's 20 years old, and he's leading in this in this uh, renewal of the land. He goes in, he tears down all those false idols and those altars, and he says, no more. It's not going to happen under my reign. We're going to serve God. And then, uh, we come to verse number 8 look at verse 8 in the 18th year of his reign when he had purged the land and the temple he sent Shaphan the son of azaliah messiah the governor of the city and jo- joah the son of jehoaz the recorder to repair the house of the lord his god now now listen this is going to play a role in just a little bit first he prepares his heart and now he's preparing the house he prepares his heart to seek the Lord and now he is focusing on the house of the Lord. Many of you know the story. Many of you know he began to, to gather funds and he would raise money and, and, and he was raising money for the repair of the house of God. It had been in disarray. It was a horrible circumstance. Matter of fact, if you keep reading, you find out they gave the money, verse 11, they gave it to the craftsmen and to the builders to buy hewn stone and timber for beams. And to floor the houses, now notice this phrase, which the kings of Judah had destroyed. The kings of Judah. You go back a few years and you find that uh, Shishak, the king of Egypt, comes in uh, right after the kingdom was divided. And uh, uh, Solomon's son was on the throne. You find that, that the king of Egypt marches in. And you know what the king of Egypt decides? I want all of the treasures out of the house of God. And if you know anything at all about Solomon's temple, you know it was decked out, man. Gold was everywhere. I wanted it all. And so he began to rob the temple. He took from God the things that were dedicated to God. Now, as this repair was being made, verse 14, look at verse 14, 2 Chronicles 34. Stay with me now. If you're with me, say, I'm still there. Still there. All right. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. He found the book. He found the book. Now this is interesting. He finds it. He reads it. He gives it to Shapan. Shapan reads it. He comes and gives it to the king. And the king in verse 29 gathers all of the rulers together, all of the people together. He reads it in the hearing of them uh, in in their ears, the Bible says in verse 30. And and then they make a covenant to stand on the things that God has said. So, So with that story in mind, let me do this with you. Let's go back now and answer three very important questions for the sake of our study today, okay? Question number one, you want to write it down, uh, make sure it's part of your notes. How was the truth discarded? How was the truth discarded? What happened? When they found the book, what had happened to the book? And what book exactly are we talking about? Well, the Bible calls it, and we just re-referred to it as the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. The book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. John Gill is one of my favorite commentators that I like to read. Some of you may not know who he is. He actually pastored the church that Charles Spurgeon ended up pastoring long before Spurgeon. And John Gill makes a comment about this passage. He says this, he believes that these are the first five books of the Bible known as the Pentateuch, or the book of the law. It's possible that that's exactly what we're dealing with. He goes further and says he believed... That this book that they found was actually autographed by Moses. That the terminology used wasn't just that he wrote it, but that it was given to them by Moses. That he wrote it down and gave it to them. So this is an original Pentateuch, is what this is. Now most believe that. Some say it's probably the book of Deuteronomy. But regardless of what you believe, one or the other of those, you have to agree it's the word of God. It's the word that God had given. And in giving of that word, there was instruction about how to live. There was instruction about how to worship. There was instruction about what God was like and how you needed to respond to him and to his word. All of this was there for them. But it had been discarded. It had been hidden. One commentator paints the picture of as they were repairing holes as the temple was left to decay... Keep in mind now, this building is about 300 years old when this is happening. 300 years old. This thing, man, is in, in disarray and they've not cared for it. And so some believe that they have taken this book and they have hid it away somewhere, maybe in one of the holes in the walls, and as they're repairing, they come across it. Why wasn't it found earlier? What happened that it would be hidden the way that it is? Why didn't somebody just stumble? How do you lose an original writing from Moses? Amen. Well, I tell you what I believe happened. If you study history uh, concerning this, and it's an interesting point that we need to make, uh, it has been said, author George uh, Santana made this statement those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. It would be fair to say that history is a tremendous teacher if we will learn from it. Would you agree? If you go back into the history, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that people like this uh, Shishak, king of Egypt, in 2 Chronicles 12, he comes in to this area and he wants uh, the treasures uh, that that belong to the Lord. I'll begin reading verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 12. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. Now now this is interesting because when the Lord is forsaken. forsaken the word of God and the house of God becomes discarded but when your relationship is right with the Lord Josiah in getting right with the Lord he decides to bring back the house of worship the way it ought to be they're connected would you agree so Rehoboam turns away from God And all of Israel went along with that. Verse 9 says of the same chapter, So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything, the Bible says. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then king Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Can I share it with you this way? When the king's heart, when the leadership had turned away from following the Lord, then then the things that belonged to God, the things that were dedicated to God, were taken away. You say, what are you getting at? Be very careful. There's a pattern in our lives, if you'll stop and realize it, there's a pattern in our life. The farther we drift away from God the more ready we are to give up the things that belong to God to whoever and whatever might call for them. Let me make it real clear for you. The car dealership down the road, though I love them and bless those who work there, even in our church, they want what belongs to God. And they'll convince you to buy their vehicle even at the cost of giving what it is that belongs to God. The vacation resort, nothing wrong with a vacation resort, but they want what belongs to God. Matter of fact, if you're not careful, you'll take those things that are supposed to be dedicated to the cause of God and to the house of God and you will use them somewhere else for whatever other reason makes itself available to you. If you'll let them, they'll take it. And somewhere you have to stop and say, wait a minute, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave what belongs to God. We're going to cherish those things that he said belongs to him. So the discard... Began to take place. It's interesting that there seems to be a bit of a pattern uh, that I think we could follow today. If you'll if you'll follow with me a moment, I'm going to give you just four quick steps that tend to lead to the discarding of the truth. The first one, as a matter of fact, they'll all four come up on the PowerPoint for you if you want to write them down. The first one we're going to call annoyance. Now, what do I mean by annoyance? Well, that's when the word of God becomes annoying in that we get convicted. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands about how many people here enjoy conviction. I'm going to assume that many of us understand the need for it, but that nobody here really enjoys it. And the truth of the matter is, we reach a place sometimes in our life where we say, You know what? If that book is going to tell me what I'm doing is wrong, I simply won't listen to that book. And we get annoyed. Don't tell me I'm wrong. What I want to hear is I'm doing what's right. What I want to, listen, anybody comes to you and they're critical of you, do you not sometimes think, I mean, come on, do you not think, you know, have you noticed what I did do? Have you noticed that I did something right? We think that way because we'd rather hear what we're doing right than we would hearing what we're doing wrong. Now, I understand some of us don't feel like we've been to church unless we get beat up really bad. I understand that. (laughs) But that's not the way it is, is it? God will reach down and love you and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is different than the guilt of the devil. The guilt of the devil, he comes on you and he will let you just wallow in it and you feel miserable. He will never offer you any kind of solution. But the Holy Spirit, when he brings conviction, he tells you exactly how to get that thing right. Always has a solution. Always. So here we are in a state of if conviction causes confrontation of my sin, I simply am annoyed by that and so I will, number two on the list, I will avoid that. I will avoid that. I think uh, perhaps nowhere is it plainer than when you study the life of Jeremiah. Do you find a group of people who say, don't you come over here with that stuff from your God? Don't you bring me that? Don't you do that and we'll take that and they burned it up because they did not want to hear what God had to say. So be very careful. The first step is annoyance. The second step is I'll just avoid it. I just won't go. Many people today they don't go to church because somewhere in church they might get convicted and they don't want to be convicted. I don't want to hear what I'm doing wrong. I'd rather hear what I'm doing right. And so believe it or not it is a form of discarding the word we'll take that book that tells us what we ought to be doing and we'll sit it over here in a hole somewhere in the temple wall and we'll just leave it there and then arrogance takes place arrogance is a matter of pride but pride doesn't begin with the letter a and I had to have them alliterated for you (laughs) arrogance arrogance says you know what I did everything that I've got. It's because of me. Uh, It's it's everything I've got. It's because I, I am what I am. And I did this. It's all me. And then there becomes this lack of dependency on God. And this sense of you did it all. No gratefulness. No gratitude toward God. Not recognizing were it not for God you would have nothing. And then there's that abandonment. Once you reach that stage, I do not like the annoyance, it bothers me, I want to avoid that. You know, after all, it is everything that I have done and I have accomplished. Then it's a matter of, I don't need that. You, you will find people today, and maybe even some who have wandered into our church doors this morning, or maybe they're even watching online, I don't know. But most, mo- you will find people today who have this opinion, I don't need that. You talk to me about going to church, I don't need that. You talk to me about what the Bible says, I don't need that. We have one man in our church who just presented the gospel to uh, some family members. And they said just that to him. Don't do that. I don't need that. Don't do that. Don't go there. And this is how it gets discarded. So let us learn from it. Let us realize that this is what can happen in our life. Uh, We abandon it. Then, And so here the uh, Josiah finds it. And uh, so let's look at the second point then today, or the second question. How was truth discovered? How was it discovered? Well, it was in this process. Again, I mentioned to you, there, there are three words I want to give you here. So you might want to write these down. We have preservation, preparation, and priority. These are the three things that sort of encompass the answer to this question of how was truth discovered? First of all, we need to come to this realization that God can and has divinely protected his word. I want you to consider this, that the word of God that had been tucked away was written hundreds of years before Hilkiah found it in the temple. It had been forsaken for about 300 years. And yet, there it was. There it was. There it was. It's an interesting study when, uh, uh, when you stop and look at some of the findings that have occurred uh, since, uh, well, since some of our lifetimes. Maybe before mine, but not necessarily before some of yours. Uh, Back in 1947, 1948, you find a a shepherd boy who was throwing rocks over on the northeast shore of the Dead Sea and he heard one hit something, it sounded like an explosion inside and of course uh, an exploration began to find that these were clay jars that contained manuscripts inside, later to be known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. What some of you may not know is there were about 11 caves that were explored and there are about 850 manuscripts uncovered. Of those, 19 copies of the book of Isaiah were found. One of those dated back to 125 B.C. 125 B.C. Now I want you to follow with me. If you're not a numbers person, I understand it's it's very easy to get lost in some of this. Don't do that. Hang on with me for just a minute. Because our Bible... The English Bible that you have. The translation of it comes from uh, the Meseratic text which is dated uh, 900 A.D. or so. So I want you to understand this. It's a Hebrew writing. So the book of Isaiah that you have today came from a Hebrew Bible that was dated about 900 A.D. Now, Now calculate with me. There's a thousand years difference between the Masoretic Text and the Isaiah Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in 1947. A thousand years difference. Are you following me? A comparison by scholars of the Isaiah Dead Sea Scrolls dating 125 B.C. with the Masoretic Text dating some 900 A.D. Showed, and this is the word they use, not the words that I use, virtually they're identical. Identical. It is an amazing thing to stop and realize that the same God who divinely and supernaturally inspired his word has the ability to protect it and preserve it. You can count on you have the word of God. And it is an amazing thing that God has done. There are more discoveries that have been made that we could go into detail on. Many of you have access to some of those studies. Even as as, uh, recently as 1970, more uh, information has been found. And it always comes back to the same thing. That what we have today has been preserved and we have the Word of God. So that's an important part of the answer to this question. The preparation of the heart. I think that's where it starts. Now, let me, let me pause a moment and interject something that I think needs to be interjected. The Bible tells us it was in the 18th year of his reign. He was eight years old when he came to the throne, and in the 18th year of his reign, that's when the temple began to be renewed and renovated. So he's about 26 years of age. Now, if he were alive today, in today's society, that would, that would classify him as a millennial. Now let me pause a moment and say this. And if you are a millennial today, let me beg you of something. Let me beg of you to to pay attention to this thought with me. I want you to understand what he does. Because I'm afraid that we sometimes in our culture do it in the reverse order. And you can't do it in the reverse order. It's the wrong order. So I want you to see what he does. The first thing he does is he prepares his heart. He has decided that the God of David is His God. Now this is very important. Who is your God? He does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the same God of David, was the same God of Josiah, and He is our God today. Now every other decision you make in your life hinges on that. Is He your God? If he is your God, then you make a decision concerning the house of worship. You see, we tend to choose the house of worship first. In the culture we're in, let's just pick a house of worship first. Let's just talk about that. Let's not talk about the God. See, the emphasis tends to be this. I want a place of worship that is not my father's house, not an earthly father. I want a place of worship that doesn't, it's not my grandparents' church. It's not, uh, they do things differently. They sing differently. They act differently. Things are a little bit different. I, I want, I'm looking for this. So let me encourage you. Start with looking at God. That's where you start. And then he will lead and all the rest. But prioritize the house of God after you have prepared your heart for God. Amen. And then I want to ask you something. If you're part of that millennial generation, let me stop for a moment and tell you. There's a large number of your generation that are unchurched today. Don't get discouraged about it. Don't get aggravated about people saying it. It's true. It's very true. Use it as a mission field. We have right now before us a culture that is a great mission field. And we need to figure out ways to reach these young people. We do, but nobody can reach them like you. If you're part of that millennial group, let me tell you, nobody can reach them like you can You settle in your heart who your God is, and then you go get the rest of them and tell them who your God is. And it'll make all the difference in the world. I'm telling you, you can reach your generation for the cause of Christ, but it's going to take some modern-day Josiahs, some 26-year-olds who stand up and say, you know something, I I can do this, and I'm going to do this for the cause of Christ. We're going to renew the nation when it comes to worship. That's what Josiah did. That's what he did. And I beg of you, I plead with you. If you're part of the builder generation, that's awesome, keep serving God. You're part of the the boomer generation, can I get an amen from the boomers? If you don't know who you are, just say you're one of those, that's fine. There's a bunch of us. We're outnumbered by the millennials. You're part of the generation X. Let me tell you, you need to reach your generation. If you're part of the Z generation, the f- those who follow, most of those are on that bus today, headed out uh, to camp today from our, from our ministry, the Z generation. Over in the nursery, we've got the alpha generation. We've got one generation after another, and all I'm asking you is this. Are you doing what Josiah did? Are you out to reach and renew your culture for the cause of God? There's a ton of them that need Christ everywhere you turn they discovered the truth because they were looking to renew a relationship with God I do believe this you know all education is foundational can I get an uh uh-huh it's foundational you didn't learn to write sentences before you learned the alphabet right And you had to learn, I remember those days, you know, you had to, I actually, my wife finds this hard to believe, but I actually received a penmanship award when I was in third grade. I write a lot worse now than I did in third grade, but, but I did. And I remember, I remember trying to make those, those letters and, 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 do, and, 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 and craft that. And, but the idea is this, that education is foundational. So let me ask you this question today. Why in the world should God give you his truth if you will not seek it to begin with? If you'll not want a relationship with him, why should he share anything with you? Yeah. Prior to Josiah, the kings were not looking for it. The house of God was in disarray. The truth of God had been discarded. So, why should God point out to you where it's located in the temple? Why should He give you more truth? Why should He give you more light if you're not willing to accept the light He's already given you? So, this priority becomes essential. Psalm 119, verse 130 The entrance of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Direct my steps by your word, verse 133 says. And let no iniquity have dominion over me. Verse 140, your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Now let me say this to you. If you will open your heart to the truth, God will give you the truth. If you will close yourself off... He will not give it to you. Notice with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1. And I brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people but as to carnal. As to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So here's what, here's what Paul was saying. Paul said, I've not been able to give you the meat of the word. I've not been able to give you the truths that are there because you can't digest what you've already been given. You're not applying what you already have. Again, it's foundational. Take what God has said, become doers of the word and not hearers only, and God will give you more. He will give you more. And then last of all, let's answer the question of how the truth was discerned. How it was discerned. Discarded, we've spoken of. Discovered, now we understand a little bit more. And now, how it was discerned. Let me say it another way. How it was responded to. How do you respond to the Word of God? You know, the truth of the matter is that many of us would have to admit, truth be known, that sometimes there's a stirring in our heart to do something And we don't act. You don't need to amen that. It's true. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will lead you and prompt you and even even poke a finger in your side, so to speak, and try to get you to go to the altar and pray about a matter. And you say no. 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 This is not a message on the quenching of the Holy Spirit. But let me just say to you that, that the question arises as to how you respond to the Word of God. When God speaks, how do you listen to it? How do you respond to it? Let me share with you what Josiah does. It's interesting in verse 19 of our text, 2 Chronicles 34. If you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam the son of Shapan, Abdon, and the son of Micah, Shapan the scribe, and Esaiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book you know back a few years ago and I'm looking for Pastor T he may be in the overflow room but he served on the staff of Dr. Jerry Falwell and Dr. Falwell Being a public figure as he was, he was condemned pretty heavily for comments about some of what America was going through being the judgment of God. And maybe you've heard some remarks like that where somebody will stand up and say, you know something, some of the problems that we are encountering right now maybe are the judgments of God. Maybe they're because we're not obeying God, not turning our hearts toward God. Now, there are a lot of people who get aggravated at that. And a lot of people get frustrated with that. Can I tell you that that's exactly what Josiah is saying? Josiah said, you know something, I've heard the words of the book and the words of the book indicate to me that we're not having the blessings of God because we're not doing what God said do." not that complicated. And what we need to do sometimes in our life is stop. And let me make it very personal. What you need to do is stop and say, God, am I not enjoying the blessings that you have for me because I'm not doing what you want me to do? What about my family, God? Are we not enjoying the blessings of God because we're not yet acting on some of that that we know we need to act on? What about as a church? Does the church moving in the direction it needs to move in because we're, we're busy trying to seek God? Or, or do we have our own way of doing things? And, and what about a nation? Is our nation enjoying? Don't misunderstand me. I know that we're blessed and we can always say we are greatly blessed and we're the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But let me tell you something. The truth of the matter is we could be a whole lot more blessed if we'd be a whole lot more obedient. Amen? Amen. (laughs) It's incredible. And here's the king, the leader, who says, you know something? What I'm reading and what I'm seeing, there's a connection here. So then he does something verse 29 Then the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the priests and the levites and all the people great and small and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which he had found in the house of the Lord wow listen here's what we're going to do we're going to stand here and read Genesis 1 all the way through <laughs> yeah. no wait a minute preacher i got dinner coming up it's Read the whole thing. Then the king, verse 31, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot be partially committed Either you're committed or you're not. To perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book, verse 32. And he made all those who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand take a stand. We just sang that song a little while ago with arms lifted high. We stand. Are you you willing to do that yourself? Are you willing to say, you know something, Lord? That's the way I perceive your word. Every time we study it, every time I read it at home, every time I I look through and I find something, God, you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. I want to apply my heart there. I want to be what it is you tell me I need to be. Now, now I understand we can't be perfect. I understand that. But there are times in our life where we just need to say, God, you know, I'm open to your word. I want to know what you have to say and I want to be obedient to you. I want the blessings you have that go along with the obedience. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Samuel as a child. Samuel as a child was in the temple with Eli. Remember the story? He woke up in the night because he heard his name and he thought Eli had called him. That great spiritual man Eli, it took him three times before he realized it was probably God, not him. Finally he told Samuel that so the next time he said, Samuel, when you hear it another time, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So the Bible tells us that's what Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now the Bible is an incredible thing. It tells us in Hebrews chapter four, verse number 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when the word of God is taught, when it is read, when it is preached, when it is studied, when you hear it, it will do something to us, in us. And so I beg of you, be somebody who discerns the word to the point that when God speaks, be willing to say like Samuel, I'm listening, I'm listening. If I could encourage you today to spend a moment in prayer and maybe just renew your own commitment. Something interesting happens and I gotta mention this before I close. Toward the end of this, as a matter of fact, the next chapter, Josiah says we're going to observe the Passover. It has not been observed this way, the scripture records, since the days of Samuel. That put it all the way back even before Saul. It's an incredible passage of Scripture there in Second in Chronicles 35. But the Bible says he put on the Passover. Now the Passover is what he had read needed to be observed. It's the commemorative feast concerning the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, and it is a depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. So here's what Josiah does. And and don't miss this, Josiah puts Jesus in the very center of his worship. Amen. He's in the middle of the plan to renew the nation. So keep Jesus in the focal point, that's what he does. And I ask you today as we bow for a word of prayer to make a personal commitment, but also let me mention to you that along this altar today, we have some green bracelets. These bracelets have names on them and these are names of the youth that are now on their way to Word of Life camp and the counselors that have gone with them. And we're asking you to pick up one or two and wear them all week long and every time you see them, think about them and pray for them that God will do a work in their life. And so I would ask you to do two things today during the invitation time. One is to come and Pick up a bracelet as the Lord leads you. The other is to just kneel and pray and renew your own commitment to God and to his word. Maybe your prayer today would sound something as simple as Samuel's prayer was. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. I'm listening. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we ask you, Lord, to bless this time. Father, we've talked about a lot of different things, some of it historical, Some of it even modern day. So God, we lift up to you this great church and each individual that's here, Lord. I pray, raise up the Josiahs of today that will reach this generation. God, help us to be mindful of the truth. Having received it from you, having it preserved by you for all of these years. And now, God, we come to you and we pray that you'll help us to be committed as Josiah was to your word. Help us, Lord, to hear it, to learn it, to hide it in our hearts, to obey it, to live by it. May we renew our commitment to you, Lord. May our hearts be prepared first. And then may you bless this wonderful place of worship in such a way as has never been blessed even before. We lift up to you the young people that are on their way to camp and as we begin to take their bracelets and wrap them around our wrists, God, we pray that you will do a work in their hearts, that the Holy Spirit will be powerful and personal all this week at camp. Lord, let us see souls saved and let us see young people who as Josiah at age 16 stood up and said, I'm going to serve God. Let us see our youth come back on fire to serve you. God, raise up that generation out of this work. God bless in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, the invitation is open if you'd like to come and pray. You do so if you'd like to pick up a bracelet and pray for that person. Would you stand with me, please, all who are able? May God bless you.